looking, uh, we've been looking over the last couple of months at a little series of Psalms, a collection, 15 through to 24, that are very carefully put together in the Bible. And we come this morning to Psalm 23, which I hope you'll find on page 458 of the Bible you were given as you came in. I'm going to pray, then read it to us, and then we're going to think about it together. Let's pray. The Lord Jesus says, I know my sheep and they follow me. They listen to my voice. We do want to pray, Almighty God, that you would give us ears to hear what you're saying to us this morning. Give us hearts that are willing to follow our good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, to learn from him and to enjoy his care and his love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 23 then. A Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm hoping you'll keep that open uh, in front of you. There's also an outline of the sermon on the back of the notice sheet you might like. Um, and you'll see we're coming this morning to one of the best known, one of the most loved, I guess, poems in all of world literature. Uh, most of us will have heard it read, said, or, or sung at baptisms, I'm sure at weddings and at funerals of loved ones. And I'm sure that many of the, the believers here among us this morning would be able to testify in our own lives to the way that the Lord has spoken to us through it to calm our fears and to still storms in our hearts. Um, we can think of the griefs that we've carried that it has soothed and the, the troubled thoughts that it has kept at bay in our darkest nights. Uh, and one writer points out that its work is not yet done. As much as it's been used by God, it will go on pouring peace and hope and courage into the hearts of our children and our children's children down through all of the generations until the very last pilgrim is safely home in God's heavenly house forever. I love this psalm. I've got a confess that as we start. I'm grateful to those who encouraged me to learn it off by heart in my Christian life. I'm delighted we encouraged our own children to do the same when they were much younger. Uh, I'd encourage you to commit it to memory if you've never done so, and you possibly can. I think it will do untold good to your soul when you need it most. And it is a psalm, uh, just in the way it's written, that is literally surrounded by the Lord. 
Um, so you'll see his special covenant name, the Lord, uh, his name of promise, the, the promise to save his people and be with them and love them forever. His name starts the psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, and then it closes it as well, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And then in, in the middle, standing apart from the, the flow, are four words in which David repeats the big promise of the psalm right back to God as he says, you are with me. Uh, it starts in the third person. There are lots of he's. David is talking about God in verses 1 to 3, but it seems he can't talk about God without starting to talk to him. So in verse 4, it shifts to the second person, and there are lots of you's instead. My hope is that we won't just observe David's faith from a distance, but that we will learn to share in it personally. Here's another confession, though, uh, up front. I think I've been missing at least part of the significance of this psalm my whole Christian life. Uh, a friend of mine's been doing his PhD on the shepherd motif, as he calls it, as it runs all the way through the psalms. He points out that most Christians um, read the opening words of Psalm 23, and we know that Jesus is the good shepherd, and so we jump straight to thinking in those terms, that he is the Lord who shepherds and guides us, and that is wonderfully true, as we'll see. But in reading it in that way, we miss the fact that Jesus is also the great king, like David, one who himself trusted in the Lord perfectly, trusting in the Lord for us so that we could share in the perfect relationship with God that is expressed in this psalm. So as well as helping us to enjoy the Lord's care, I'm persuaded Psalm 23 wants us to, to share in his confidence. Um, I've been wrestling with that as I've been preparing. I hope we'll see it's not just a technical point, but it adds a wonderful depth to the way, the security that this psalm gives us. But our first point, you'll see it on the sheet, is enjoy the Lord's care. And we're going to reflect first on verses 1 to 3 and what it means to say that the Lord is my shepherd king. So verse 1 again, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Uh, when we hear the word shepherd, our mind tends to fill with images of the countryside, I think, fields and, and sheep. We know that David himself was a shepherd in his youth. But in the, the Bible, the word shepherd is not just agricultural. It doesn't just make us think of farmers, but of kings. So not just people who live in huts and fight wolves, but uh, people who live in palaces and fight for their people and lead their people into times of peace and rest. So that's why we're combining these words, that the Lord is our shepherd king. And it's not a ceremonial role either. There isn't loads of pageantry and flypasts that are going on. It is rugged and it is tough, but it is also tender and very personal. Uh, up until now in the Bible, we've thought of God as the, the shepherd of his people corporately, but David goes a deliberate step further. The Lord's not just our shepherd together, though he is. He's my shepherd, says David. And therefore, I shall not want. I shall lack nothing. 
That doesn't mean that there's never a day when a Christian goes hungry or runs out of money. But it, it does mean that every Christian knows that God is for us, that he knows us personally. All of our situations, all of our weaknesses, all of our joys, all of our sorrows. And he orders the world in such a way that we will never lack a single thing that is good for our soul. We will never lack a single thing that is good for our soul. If we have something we're enjoying, it's because the Lord has given it to us and we should give it back to him with thanksgiving. And if there's something we're lacking, we'll know that even then he's with us and he's giving us that experience so that we learn to, to lean on him and grow in our love for him. Uh, the detail is spelled out in the next few verses. It's an idyllic picture, isn't it? Safety, abundance, tranquility, beauty. God, you can imagine a sheep, if they had holiday brochures for sheep back in those days, I doubt they did. But if they did, you could imagine a sheep flicking through the brochure of verses two and three, and its eyes popping out of its head. It's a picture of sheepy paradise. Uh, makes me, you won't, if you know me, you won't be surprised to know, it makes me think of the Lake District in, in springtime. Most things make me think of the Lake District. But David, um, the language he uses deliberately echoes the Garden of Eden. So it's that kind of picture. And actually, specifically, the, the way that the Lord provided for his people so kindly during the years of their time in the wilderness. So these are verses about daily provision about a relationship in which the Lord is constantly faithful to his people. David's saying, remember how the, the Lord treated us as a nation, how he rescued us from slavery, how he provided manna for us in the desert, how he gave us water, everything that we needed to live and to serve him. Well, it's not just the nation that he cares about. I can know that it's true for me personally. And the Lord's provision is spiritual as well as physical. In verse 3, the Lord restores my soul. Uh, that's one of the great blessings of God's word from Psalm 19. We're meant to picture David having a quiet time. He's meditating on God's word. And as he reads it, as he prays about what he's learning, he's being revived in, on the inside in such a way that every morning is a fresh beginning with his Lord. And then the Lord leads him in paths of righteousness. He teaches him, he guides him into a way of life that will not only be good for David, but will bring glory to the Lord's own name. And so David says, the Lord, Yahweh himself, this mighty, promise-keeping God, the one who abounds in steadfast love. He is my shepherd, and he is nothing but good to me. And friends, if we are believers and followers of the Lord Jesus this morning, these, these are our words. They're, they're privileged words for anyone who trusts in the Lord Jesus. If I don't believe in him personally, I stand outside of the, the goodness of the relationship that these words express. The Lord would beckon me in and invite me to come and know him in this way as I ask him to forgive my sin, to restore my relationship with him. But if I've done that, these are your words this morning. 
The Lord is my shepherd. He is your shepherd. He is our tough and our tender, our great and our gentle shepherd king. And he knows us and leads us and feeds us. He guards and governs and guides us all the days of our life. The Lord is our shepherd king. And he's also with me. Verse 4 is our second little heading here. The Lord is with me. Even though I walk, you'll read through the valley of the shadow of death. I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Um, technically, this follows straight on from verse 3. It's another element of the, the shepherdly care that the Lord provides for his children, but it's worth separating out because it, it takes us straight into the depths of the, the darkest valleys and the, the darkest nights that we will ever live through. We, we cannot avoid, I imagine, being taken in our minds straight to the bedside and to the graveside and those times when we've wept and we have felt very alone and afraid. Uh, death here represents not just the, the moment of passing itself, but all of the, the evils and the tribulations that we face up, that we face in life, that, that build up to and in some sense foreshadow that ultimate tragedy. It is everything that gives us pain, everything that leaves us feeling anxious and alone. And the point is that even in that bitter and dangerous place, the Lord is with us. And his presence is there to give us peace and courage and hope. So David says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Uh, it's often said that rod and staff carried by shepherds, uh, one in each hand, that's true. So one to, to lead and to guide and to goad the sheep, to follow the shepherd into good pastures, and then the other to beat away uh, predators. You might have seen that in the, the coronation. They were carried by royalty as well. So the, the kind of the king thing is carrying on in verse 4. They're symbols of the protection and the direction that the king was called to provide for the nation that he served. And so the Lord our shepherd king is with us even in the place of danger. He's with us to protect us from harm He's with us to nurture us and to comfort us and to lead us to the place of rest and safety. We'll glance back over verses 1 to 4 with me for a second. I imagine there will be people here this morning who read Psalm 23 and you, you see yourself straight in verses 1 to 3. For now at least that's where your life is. It's green pastures and still waters and happy graduations. And if that is us, I hope we are very aware this morning that that is because of the Lord's goodness to us. It's right that we give that back to him in thanks and praise. Others, our, our hearts will be drawn straight to verse 4, these dangerous valleys, miserable darkness. Uh, we may have a sense of dread about the future. Even if it's likely that our own physical death is still some way off, we never know, of course, but even if it, it feels as though it's a long way off, we can be right in the middle of verse 4. If that is you this morning, I want to encourage you to claim the promise of verse 4. 
um, to, to turn it back to the Lord in prayer. It's not an easy thing to do. But you can say, Lord, with this thing that I'm facing, you know how it makes me feel. You know the tears that I shed and the fears that consume me. But I know and believe that you are with me. And I know that you have good for me even now in this. And I know that you love me. And I know that I'm going to be with you in heaven forever one day. So I trust you. It's, it's not an easy prayer to pray, obviously, but it, it is as we trust in the Lord that we feel the benefit of his shepherdly care. Then we come to verse 5, and you'll notice that the, the, the image changes a bit from God as shepherd king to God as a, a generous host. So the Lord is my host. Let's read from verse 5. David says, you prepare a table before me, in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. At a purely emotional level, I suspect that the idea of God as a, as a gracious host doesn't initially connect with us quite as deeply as that of the shepherd but the, the, the presence of the enemies in verse 5 will, I think, uh, help us to see its significance. The pictures of a traveler on a journey, and uh, his ultimate destination is in the house of the Lord. That's where he's going. But before he gets there, he needs some hospitality and some protection. It could be that he's even passing through the valley of verse 4, the sort of place that robbers lie in ambush and it's getting dark and our traveler can feel the, their eyes on him and he's got nowhere safe to spend the night and, and fear is starting to turn into panic inside. And up in the distance, he sees some lights and he's encouraged to see that they're from a settlement that looks heavily fortified and deeply secure. And you can imagine the relief that floods through him as the owner greets him and offers him a bed for the night. And how safe he feels when it turns out that the owner is some mighty warrior who's far more powerful than all of the traveler's adversaries. And so the mighty warrior becomes a gracious host. And he lays out a, a lavish banquet for our traveler in the open air. And he starts to treat his traveling guest as his honored Friend, He anoints his head with oil, not just refreshing him after the journey, but endorsing him, honoring him, saying, I esteem this one. It reminds us of David being anointed as God's king. Oil is so often symbolic of joy in the Bible as well. And then out comes the food and the drink. And so just a few minutes ago, the traveler was fearing for his life, but now his plate is full and his cup is overflowing. And all his enemies can do is sit in the dirt outside the camp and watch as he feasts. And we're thinking of happy thoughts of safety and abundance for the traveler. But really we ought to be thinking how mighty and kind and generous this divine host is. And then it gets even better, verse 6. Surely, says David, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, 
and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So the, the focus shifts from the, the provision of this host in the present to the confidence that the host is giving him for the future. I, I love this picture. The, the word follow is literally pursue. And uh, normally, you would know, if you're walking down the street and you're being pursued or chased, it's an alarming thing. It feels unsettling. It would be scary. But David, you could say, has a different kind of stalker because thanks to this wonderful host, he's being chased down the street by goodness and by mercy. And he knows that one day, thanks to the care and the protection of this host, his journey will be complete and he will dwell in safety in the house of the Lord forever. Makes you want to stop and marvel at the, the host. Let me ask, is it not an incredible thing to you? An incredible thing that the almighty creator, the shepherd king, would be willing to take on the role of host and to invite you to come under his protection, to enjoy his provision and to join his forever party. But that is who the Lord is. That is how much he loves all of his children. He wants us to know that. He wants us to enjoy his care. He has promised in Christ to love us forever. He is your shepherd king. He is with you. And he is the host who will keep you safe and provide for you forever. Enjoy the Lord's care. Second, more briefly, uh, share in the king's confidence as well. Share in the king's confidence. Uh, we've begun to touch on the, the three great statements of personal confidence that, that punctuate the psalm. I hope we can see how they flow directly out of who God is, how he chooses to relate to us in the Lord Jesus. It's because the Lord is my shepherd that I shall not want. It's because the Lord is with me that I will fear no evil. It's because he's my host that I shall dwell in his house forever. And so the, the com comfort and the, the confidence that David feels flows into his life from the promises that God has made and from the Lord's presence with him. And what I've been trying to think about it is that that is how it always works. That was the pattern for Israel. It was the pattern for David. It was the pattern for Jesus, we'll see. And it's how it will be the pattern for us as well. Just think about David. When he says, I shall not want, he's talking in the first instance as God's king. And he's taking the language of the Exodus very deliberately, the way that God cared for his people then. And he's then going to apply it to himself. I think his logic is running something like this. Back in Exodus, God adopted Israel as his son. He promised to save them from Egypt. He promised to provide for them in the wilderness, to give them rest in the wonderful land. He promised to be with them as their God. And as David looks back on history, he sees the way that God was faithful to every single one of his promises. 
And now David himself has received some promises from God. And as he thinks about the way that God was faithful to those promises then, he knows that God will be faithful to promises that he's made to him personally as well. Psalm 2 records God saying to David, you are my son, today I've begotten you. And so he'd adopted David as his son in the same way that he'd adopted Israel, and he'd promised to be with him and to guard his rule and even to make the ends of the earth his possession. And God's track record of keeping promises gave David confidence that he would continue to care for him now and in the future. The the point I want us to register from that is that the confidence that David feels is not wishful thinking. And it is not blind faith. It is a reasoned conviction that is built on the power and the promises of God, the one who is unbreakably faithful. Well, what of Jesus? It's interesting to ask, and I I want to do more thinking on this, I'll be honest with you, but what would it have meant when, when Jesus was humming or singing the words of Psalm 23 to himself, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want... How would it have been ministering to his own soul? I think it must have been along the same lines as David. Jesus knew that he was God's perfect son, perfect king. The Lord had spoken from heaven at his baptism, you're my son, my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased. And God had promised to uphold Jesus and to give him an eternal kingdom so that people from every nation would worship him forever. And Jesus knew that God always keeps his promises. And so all through his life, just like David here was trusting in the Lord's goodness to him, the Lord Jesus was unwavering in his own confidence in God too. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And when the the devil offered Jesus a shortcut to glory, if only he would fall down and worship him. Jesus replied, Be gone, Satan, for it's written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. And then even when it was the Lord Jesus' turn to take his own walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and even when he was abandoned and arrested and abused, and even as he carried his own cross to Calvary, as we read from 1 Peter, he continued to entrust himself to the care of, of him who judges justly. So the Lord Jesus lived the faithful life of Psalm 23 perfectly. He knew that there were enemies all around him. He knew that his lot was to be rejected in the way that builders sometimes chuck away a stone. But he knew too that the Lord would vindicate him and raise him to become the cornerstone, the capstone, and to reign forever. And because the Lord Jesus lived Psalm 23 faithfully, this is what we've seen all the way through this series, if you've been with us as we've been looking at the other Psalms, because the Lord Jesus was the the perfect king, in him, as we trust in him, we enjoy the same relationship with God. And when we, is one of the differences that makes, when we read this great Psalm, The application isn't, you've got to try harder to feel as confident as David did. First and foremost, the application 
is to praise God. That if you've trusted in the Lord Jesus, you've been gifted this relationship with God that he lived out perfectly and is expressed in this psalm. That's why the security of which it speaks is already ours. We truly can say, in Christ and through his death, I have been freed from slavery to sin and death. I've been adopted as God's child. I've received promises that he'll never leave or forsake me. I've received the promise that I'll be with him forever one day in glory. And God never makes a promise that he doesn't keep. So I don't need to to try harder to feel confident. I can just rest in the fact that I am safe. The Lord is my shepherd king, so I shall not want. And even on my darkest days, when the Lord feels a million miles away, a friend this week saying, I can't read my Bible, I can't pray. It's just too difficult because of something they were going through. Well, even on my darkest days, the Lord is with me still. And therefore, I need fear no evil. He is my host who provides for me. And I shall dwell in his house forevermore. Those, um, those statements, if you're looking in from the outside, you might think, well, that's just a fiction. It's just a, a crutch for the psychologically weak. It's just people trying to make themselves feel better about the, the troubles we face in life. But because of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are an unshakable reality. He lived, he died, he rose again to prove that it's all true. And if you do trust in Jesus, if you were to trust in him this morning, they would become promises to you personally. It is a truth that is real, entirely independent of how you feel about it on any given day. It is a truth that is real, entirely independent of how you feel on any given day. It's not founded on your ability to trust. It's founded on the promises and power of your covenant Lord. Well, let me close with two final words about how and where we can find and access this depth of care from God today. First is a a word for any who wouldn't call ourselves a Christian. Uh, If any of this comfort, this care, this confidence is attractive to you, and I I hope it is if you're thinking clearly, if any of it's attractive to, to you, you need to know that God continues to offer it to anyone and everyone in and through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it in abundance. He said, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He adds, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. So if you want the the provision, the protection of the Lord now, if you want to, to dwell in his house, his perfect new world forever, You just need to come to Jesus. But you do need to come to Jesus to bring your sin to him, 
to admit, to trust in his death on the cross, to listen to him and to follow him. Uh, the, the final, final word is for any believers here this morning. It's an observation that, that surprised me as I've been reflecting on this psalm. I, I think we tend to read this psalm in a very individualistic way. Um, but listen to this from one of the, actually one of the best commentators on the Psalms, if you're into commentaries, a guy called James Hamilton has published one recently. He says this, those who would have the Lord as their shepherd today should join themselves, I wonder if this surprises you, to a body of believers who are united to Christ by faith and thereby united to one another, guided and cared for by the chief shepherds under shepherds on their sojourn to the land of promise. I don't know what you make of that. I found it helpful. The way that the Lord shepherds and rules and guides and protects and feeds his people today primarily is through the under-shepherds that he's appointed in his church. So if you're not sure where you're at church-wise this morning, if you're not sure where you're going to be next as you move on from St. Andrews, I want to say to you something we've said to you probably every Sunday since you've been here. It is as we hear the voice of the Good Shepherd in the community of his people that he cares for us and guides us on our journey to heaven. Of course, he deals with us directly, but his purpose is for us to gather in churches under the care of his under-shepherds as well as the good and chief shepherd himself. So do I want more of David's confidence in my life? Then I'll gain it by leaning more deeply into Christ and by leaning more fully into his church and by listening to his voice. If I leave myself on the fringe of Christian or church things and semi-detached from the community, then I will struggle to feel these benefits. Well, it is one of the best known and most loved poems in the world. Uh, it has the power to charm our fears and to carry us through the darkest hours of our life. So I want to encourage you very deliberately, consciously, as we sing together in a few moments now, as we pray, to come again to our good shepherd, to our host, the Lord Jesus to share his confidence, and to enjoy his care. Let's pray together. Our Sovereign Lord, we want to thank you again for the Lord Jesus, the Good Shepherd. Thank you that because he trusted you perfectly, he's won for us a relationship with you in which we are secure and we know you as our Shepherd. Thank you that he continues to lead and to guide us today. Thank you that we will lack nothing that is good for our souls. Thank you that you are with us personally, even in our darkest valley. We pray that we might know the comfort of your presence with us, even today. And we pray that we might trust you for the future. And we pray that as we wait, as we travel on our journey to, your, uh, to our heavenly home, 
that in your goodness, in your mercy, we will know your provision and your protection and your care and your comfort all of our days. In Jesus' precious name, amen.